Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Jeffrey Jordan. Jeff is President and Executive Creative Director of Rescue, a behavior change marketing agency with over 180 team members nationwide. His passion for social change began in high school when he started Rescue at the age of 17. While growing Rescue, Jeff studied marketing for his undergraduate degree and received a master's in experimental psychology from the University of California, San Diego. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. So um, I'm so intrigued by uh, your uh, some of the things I read about you, one of which is that social change is your priority. I mean, you're a business owner. So tell us what that means to you in terms of, of why that's a priority and, and what, what does social change mean for you? Well, for, for me and for uh, Rescue Agency, which is my um, uh, public health uh, behavior change agency, you know, social impact has always been the mission of the company. And so all the way back in 2001, when we first started, I didn't really know about, um, you know, the world of social enterprise or, um, social responsibility or any of those things, it was more so that there was a, a urgency of, you know, the government was spending dollars on public health campaigns and wasn't always getting their money's worth, wasn't always getting an impactful campaign. And as a taxpayer, um, that frustrated me. Um, and it also frustrated me because I knew that the people that they were trying to reach really needed their campaigns. And so social change has always been the impetus of, of why we want to do this because we think all uh, the people that we reach deserve to, um, to live healthier lives. Hmm. Well, you've been involved in a variety of initiatives like the uh, opioid misuse prevention and youth marijuana use prevention for at risk youth. Um, can you talk a bit about what, what has that, how has that evolved and um, how have you been able to really effect some behavioral change on the health front? Yeah, so um, today we, we tackle a number of, of issues um, ranging from uh, nutrition, uh, drugs and alcohol, sexual health, et cetera. But our biggest kind of long-term issue that we've worked on has been tobacco prevention. Um, that was the very first uh, issue that we worked on, and we continue to work on it today is probably is about, um, you know, 70, 80 percent of our of our business still. And throughout the years, um, we've worked at the local level, at the state level and at the federal level. And we've been able to cause uh, documented change um, through independent evaluations with teenagers, with young adults, um, showing that they are either, um, you know, not taking up smoking or um, quitting smoking or reducing the amount that they're smoking um, with evidence connecting it to the various uh, interventions and campaigns that we implement in those local areas. Hmm. Well, I, I know that uh, I, I saw a talk of yours where you talked about 
behavior change pathways. And uh, I mean, behavior change is something that's not necessarily easy to bring about. It's certainly something that marketing has focused on for a long time, Um, uh, uh, perhaps on a, a, sometimes on a less benign level, but um, in terms of of how you see behavior change, uh, what are, can you talk a little bit about the pathways and, and how you go about creating behavior change? Yeah. And so, you know, we, we kind of have our own terminology and, and um, our, our opinions here about what behavior change really is. And others may not agree, but um, what the term behavior change and the way that we use it is to differentiate us from what the commercial marketing world does. So we really see that the vast majority of commercial marketing, not all of it, but the majority of it, um, is focused on what we would describe as brand preference change. And so it's targeting people who are already doing the required behavior. So for example, a car company is targeting people who drive cars and is asking them to change their brand preference, to change the product that they're using. So instead of using uh, a Ford, to use a Toyota instead. That to us is not behavior change. To us, that's brand preference change. It has its own series of challenges and and, um, strategies, Um, but it is different than a fundamental behavior changing. Like for example, if a car company were trying to convince bicyclists to uh, start driving instead, that is totally different than changing a brand preference. So we use behavior change to describe that we are not trying to just um, essentially talk to people who already agree with us uh, in, in the macro sense, like they already do the behavior and we're just trying to change their preference. We're actually trying to talk to people who completely disagree with us, um, who are doing the opposite of what we want them to do, and we're trying to change their life in a in a more in a deeper way. And and so when we talk about behavior change marketing, we're talking about convincing people to start exercising, to eat healthier, to stop smoking, to stop doing drugs, um, whatever that that uh, big behavior that we're trying to change is. And that takes a whole different slew of of strategies. You know, you can't like what happens in the commercial world is you're typically talking to the people who are 90% there already. You know, they're open to your brand. They already do the behavior you want them to do. And you're typically trying to bring them over the edge, convincing them to go and buy it now um, to, you know, to, to pick this product instead of that product. They're likely already bought into, I want to buy this thing. It's just a question of which brand, for example. Exactly. Or maybe it's a question of urgency, right? Like I'm planning to do it in the next year, trying to convince them to do it in the next month instead. So it's, it, it's your, you're really close to the decision point and you're trying to put them over the edge. Us, on the other hand, um, we may be very far from the decision point. We may be talking to someone that hasn't even thought about changing their behavior but from a public health perspective, there's urgency and we want them to change. And so that's where the behavior change pathways come in, is that we've, we help our clients really organize their thoughts into how, what are the different options that we have to change people um, and, and which one is going to be the best pathway for this particular population and this particular issue. And so we have, uh, we have three pathways uh, that, that we talk about. The first one is knowledge. Um, and it's all about changing kind of what people know about the behavior, whether it's harms of the unhealthy behavior or the benefits of the healthy behavior. Also knowledge about how to do it. That's, an, that's a really big one in nutrition, for example. A lot of people know they should eat healthier, but they don't know what that means or how to do it. 
Um, right. I can't tell you how many times I've heard about iceberg lettuce salads covered in ranch and, you know, that that's my healthy, <laughs> my healthy meal. Right. It's like that. Um, and then we have, uh, we have environmental change. So these are things like adding bike lanes or excise taxes. Um, and that makes a unhealthy behavior harder to do or it makes a healthy behavior easier to do. And usually comes from policy change at the uh, governmental policy change, but it can also be voluntary change, you know, a corporation changing their practices, for example. And the last uh, one that we look at is what we call norm change. And this is when people continue to do something because it's what's expected of them from their peer group, from their culture, their community, and we try and actually change that. And so that is more of, um, of, of making, for example, um, smoking smoking no longer rebellious right so like smoking cigarettes for teenagers is associated with with the rebel and we want to change that that's not education that is a norm and, and an image that we have to work hard to change hmm. well um, that's i mean that's a really interesting pathway i mean the the whole knowledge thing um i, I think some people sort of feel that if if knowledge is applied, then people will change. And of course that, that doesn't happen. And you right. gave a great example of the, of the diet, um, how we change our diets and um, how, so working through this pathway, is that something that you, as you consciously apply it in your campaigns, is it something that's um, you're always working on all three realms of the pathway or is it kind of a sequential thing? And this isn't to get at any sort of proprietary information. Oh, I'm just sure, really no. <laughs> about how it goes. So Yeah, no, um, there is a little bit of a sequence to it, more so because of the ease of change. So when you're talking about knowledge change and people truly don't know something, that's usually the easiest way to get some people to change, right? So like the opioids crisis is a really good example of this. A lot of people don't even know which drugs are opioids and they don't know why they're potentially dangerous since these are things that are being prescribed by their doctor. And so there's a lot of fundamental education that's needed there that is gonna lead a lot of people who are conscious about their health and wanna, you know, wanna avoid addiction and things like that to change their behavior. And so that's always kind of the first step you want to take and you want to make sure people know the, the thing you want to change because otherwise there's not really a foundation for people to change, right? So even if you do policy change or you do norm change, kind of the fundamental knowledge of why this is harmful to me or why this other thing is beneficial to me is needed to really um, to, to start to build on. And then once most people know something's wrong and, and there's groups that are still not changing, you essentially want to change the economics of it, or you want to change the, what we, we would call the exchange, what people are giving up to do something or you know, paying to do something, and that's where the environmental change comes in. Um, and then norm change is the hardest to do because it's really the one that's most entrenched, right? So if there's, uh, imagine that you're trying to change a food that is traditional for a specific culture. Um, you're not going to do that by educating them on the, on the health risks. Your you know, policy change is, is pretty uh, rough uh, approach to, to take if something is truly embedded in someone's culture. So you're really going to have to go and talk to people within that culture and, and find advocates who are willing to push for norm change. And that's harder and it takes longer. So it's definitely sequential, but you don't necessarily want to try and do them all at once for the same behavior because um, you may be talking to different people. 
the people who change based on knowledge may actually be different than the ones who change based on a policy, um, an environmental change, and may be different than the kind of the hardcore ones who are only going to change with norms. Mm. Yeah, I would think that this model really applies to uh, changes within the culture of a company, which is always a bit difficult to change. Is that something that you, uh, when you started, you started your company when you were 17, which is so unique, and um, you kind of, it's kind of uh, come along with you. I, is, is this something that you applied in developing the culture for your own company? Yeah, you know, I, um, I'd like to think we have pretty great culture um, that is really focused on positive social change. And I, there are definitely things that, that we do every day that I know, you know, contribute to maintaining that culture. But mm -hmm. I think one thing that, we're, that we've been conscious about is that, you know, we don't really have a, a company culture program. Um, I think company culture comes from deeply within the, the values and roots of the company and practicing them every day. So when we look at our values, for example, one of our values that is, you know, you, you would see it anywhere in the, in the company, anyone that you talk to, um, we call it responsible rebelliousness. And, <laughs> That's great. And what it means is that the government that we typically work with, they're not, they're not eager to make changes to the way they do things. You know, the government's kind of the slowest moving in terms of trying new things and all of that. So mm -hmm. the only way that we're going to cause change with our campaigns is to first convince our government clients to take more risks. And so we have to be a bit rebellious with them. We have to push them, um, but responsibly, right? We don't want to push them so hard that they feel like we, we, we're, we can't work together or so hard that people get frustrated, people get in trouble or whatever it might be. So, so there's this kind of responsible amount of pushing that we have to do. And we talk about it pretty much every time we're talking about a strategy, this comes up, not from the sense of, well, this is our company culture, have we talked about it? But it's just ingrained in the way that we do our work. And so it, it, it is a part of the culture. And that's, I think what makes a really powerful culture is when the principles and the values that you set forth are truly what the company does on a daily basis without being reminded to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, in the past, certainly there's been so much of, uh, let's put up a mission statement and everybody will get it and then we'll carry on from there. Right. And it's really, it's certainly much more complex than that where there's an ingrained living out the day-to-day in the day to day, the principles and values. As you exactly. Said. Yeah. Well, a, a term that's been associated with you is, uh, and I, you may well have coined this term, is is social branding. Mm -hmm. So, can you talk a little bit about that? What that means, and and uh, how you came up with that? Sure. So this was um, back in uh, I think two thousand four is when we first started talking about this idea of social branding, and and what it is is that we can create brands within the social change space that are representatives of the norm change that we want to do. So this is specifically for our norm change pathway. When we want to um, change the meaning of something, change kind of the cultural uh, uh, representation of something, that a brand can be the catalyst of that. That you can uh, create a brand that is, um, for example, a rebellious brand that stands for not smoking, um, or even a sexy brand that stands for not smoking, or a 
um, kind of a, a, you know, busy working person brand for nutrition, for example, a, you know, you that you can form these associations between identities and behaviors at the brand level and that that will attract the right kind of spokespersons and influencers um, that it will appeal to the right people and help you kind of push forward the norm change that you want to create. And so that's how when we, when we create brands for our norm change campaigns, we are focused on what is the value, the identity that we're trying to tap into uh, and how can we create a brand that represents this identity. So we're not creating brands that specifically look healthy just because we have a healthy campaign, right? We're not creating the brands that are what you would expect the brand to be. We're creating brands that appeal to the people who are least likely to adopt this behavior as, a, as an entryway to appeal to them. Hmm. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go oh, yeah, ahead. So, so to kind of like, you know, get it a little bit out of our very, very specific space that we focus in, like let's say a company is focused on environmental change. Um, and they probably are going to be branded in a way that looks very pro-environment which makes sense because you want to attract those kinds of customers and, and those kinds of um, uh, partners and things like that. But if you wanted to convince people who right now don't care about the environment and aren't taking precautions to start to care, you're probably going to have an easier time creating a brand or a campaign that is, doesn't look anything like today's typical environmental activist. Right. And that essentially creates you know, it's that third lane concept of like, well, I'm not an environmental activist and I don't want to be, you know, anti-environment. I need something different. And you provide them those other lanes of how they can take uh, precautions, you know, do the things you want them to do, but still maintain the identity that they have, which is like, you know, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not one of those guys. You give them that new identity to associate themselves with. So it's, a, it's, uh gives people a sense of I'm one of those people who does that and gives them kind of an identity to connect with that they can then embrace the behavior that goes along with it. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's basic modeling, you know, it's how we operate as humans. We, we look for examples of, of, of what we want to do, who we want to be, whether it's subconscious or conscious, and you're just putting out there new examples of the types of people that, that um, people can be. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Jeff, the this whole realm is really setting kind of a, a leadership role in on the part of, of your clients in the sense of guiding um, guiding public health decisions and policy. Um, I guess it comes into play as well. Mm -hmm. But um, that in that in that whole leadership realm, I'm. Um, really curious to hear about your own views about leadership and what do you, what do you see as leadership that has impact? Well, I think that you, you have to practice what you preach as, as much as possible. Um, and, and set, set that example. So just like how we're talking about modeling within the campaigns that we do, um, you want to model that same behavior um, within within your company, whether that's from a cultural perspective or that's from a, a leadership perspective, and then you know eventually, like the 
in my opinion, the best leaders are the ones who, who let go at the right times, um, who, you know, focus on leveling people up, training them, educating them on whatever it is that they need to know, and then giving them the trust and the space to, to do these things that, that you need them to do as a part of your organization. Um, I, I think it is, it's hard, you know, it's hard for everybody to, to let go of things that they kind of did for the first time or want to see done in a certain way. Sure. But it's hard to be a, a true leader if you are still telling everybody what to do and how to do it and never allowing them to possibly develop their own way of doing it that maybe achieves what you want even better. Mm-hmm. And that can be a tough thing for entrepreneurs to do because you come in usually doing everything and then you have to gradually let go and let other people contribute or mm-hmm. the business can't grow. Yeah. Did you- did you find that tough to do? Was that kind of the progression of, of your business that you started off doing everything? And Yeah, and that's going to be an ongoing challenge because, you know, you, you don't let go of everything at once. You let go of things little by little. And, and as you grow, you know, that thing that you're letting go of becomes kind of a bigger thing, a more um, maybe more complicated thing, more central to the business, more delicate, whatever it might be. And so this is something you have to continue to remind yourself is important. You have to continue to remind yourself this is the only way that we continue to grow is if more people start to do more things. Um, And the founder, uh, president, or even just kind of the next tier of executives, they can't do everything. The only way you keep growing is if you keep slowly delegating and letting go over and over again. And so it is a lesson that I have to relearn all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true for most people, certainly. Yeah. How, how have you um, chosen to develop your own leadership? Is it something that's, that you've learned through mentorship or through watching other people in, in that way or, or in, in other forms? How, how have you um, created the kind of leadership at that point that you are now and, and moving forward? Um, you know, early on, definitely uh, having mentors that um, that guided me, particularly when when we faced issues and asking about how to deal with them, whether it's a mentor that just helped kind of with, uh, you know, what's the right way to deal with an HR issue or what's the right way to um, to to inspire somebody. Um, and then after that, it's been, you know, learning from from receiving feedback and from observing how others lead that we interact with. So whether that's some of the leaders that we've hired, you know, kind of being open to, hey, they might do something better than, than I do it. And so I should pay attention and watch and see if there's, there's something I can learn. And also from our clients, um, you know, the way that they manage their own teams, the way that they manage us. Sometimes you learn, you're like, wow, that really is hurting us the way, you know, someone is doing something. And that makes you reflect like, well, do I I ever do that to my team, um, to the people that, that, you know, have to report to me. And, and you kind of learn um, by being on the receiving end sometimes of, of some of these styles, leadership styles, feedback styles, things like that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I find too that um, when I'm in a situation where uh, I'm working with a client who's a particularly amazing leader that I learn things just from seeing how they choose to uh, choose to operate with their people and mm-hmm. with uh, folks that they contract to. Has that been your experience too? Absolutely, yeah. And you just have to be open. Like 
it, it, you know, at some point as an entrepreneur, you have to get over yourself. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yes. And you just have to say, I don't know everything. You know, yes, I started this and, and this was, you know, my, my idea, but, but it's not just your idea anymore. There are so many other people that are now touching it, that are involved, that are refining, improving, et cetera. And so now just kind of be comfortable with your position, be comfortable with what you did and, and start to become a sponge to learn from all these other people that, that you're involved with, because that's kind of one of the, um, the, the benefits of being an entrepreneur is that you get to expose yourself to all these people, whether it's through employees that you're hiring, partners that you're working with, clients, et cetera. It's like an, it's a real world education every day, but only if you allow it to be. Um, and if you enter all those situations thinking you're the only, you know, you're the best things in sliced bread and, and everyone else needs to do things the way you do them, then you're never going to learn from all these great opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. Well, um, Jeff, I know that one area that you, uh, you talk about a bit on your website is uh, changing policy. And um, I know that's not a simple thing to do. Uh, so do you get really actively involved in that? Is that just something that comes out of your work? How, how do you, what's your relationship with yeah, health policy? Policy change is, is an important part of, of you know, public health change. Um, and so we, uh, it's not the majority of our work, but we do have an, a number of different policy change campaigns, many that have been successful and have successfully um, caused policy change. And really it's all about, you know, what, one of the things that, that people forget is that your issue, just because it's so important to you, does not mean it's super important to whoever you want to change this policy. And, and so a lot of the first steps to policy change are education and demonstrating support from the people that the decision makers care about, whether that's, you know, constituents or employees or customers or whoever it is, showing that they want, they want action. People love to jump to the, the, the legislator or the decision maker and say, here's why you should do it, so do it. And it's like, you know, they have a ton of other priorities. Um, you need to make this a priority for them. And that comes from more than just telling them they should change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, something interesting I noted about um, marketing of your own company, and that is uh, you don't have a point person really who is the one that you talk to if there's a, a someone who's interested in your services. You you uh, have this tag of select a staff member to learn more where you person can pick and choose. Oh, this person resonates with me, or I'd like to talk to the person in that role. Um, it's such an interesting choice. What what led you to that? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we definitely have an internal kind of funnel for where opportunities eventually uh, um, go. But a lot of times, um, the subject matter expert is is not necessarily, you know, a business development person. It's someone who is is in the field. Um, sometimes a potential customer has heard about us because of a specific campaign. And so they would feel comfortable beginning with the person who's running that campaign because sometimes they just want to learn more about a campaign rather than, you know, uh, ask for a proposal. So we, we like for people to, um, particularly within public health where, you know, they don't, they don't like the traditional sales, sales approach, uh, they're, they're a little more cautious with that. Um, we like them to be able to explore 
and tell us when they're ready to talk about um, uh, an actual contract or proposal. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I, I would think it's it kind of empowers people to be the ones to, that people reach out to. It's not always funneled through some through a business development person. That it's it's really oh, I really resonated with the campaign you did, and let's talk more about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they just this, and this is going to be different in other industries. This particular industry just doesn't like to be sold to, mm -hmm. and so um, and sometimes you know it's it's years long of a relationship before there's an opportunity, and so we want them to feel good about you know becoming our friends, and then when there is a time to work together, uh, then we can go ahead and and talk about that. Mm -hmm. Well, another area where you've uh, gone into uh, social change is re waste reduction. So can you talk a little bit about, about that and uh, how, you've, how you've been able to have impact in that realm? Um, our work in, so uh, there's two places that we touch that. Um, first, in our company, um, that's, a, that's a really big priority for us. Um, and it, making sure that you know we're we're reducing um, our, our waste. We do that a couple ways. We're very conscious about what we create for campaigns to give away. Um, I don't think people think realize just how much waste is associated with promotional products. <laughs> and right. so um, you know, if you're going to make a tchotchke, make sure it's a tchotchke that doesn't go straight to the trash. <laughs> um, and so that means that we're often trying to make a little bit higher value. Um, more useful items, you know, we'd prefer a nice water bottle over, you know, a bunch of stickers and buttons or something like that um, Because it's just going to most likely actually be used um, And 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 actually replace other things like like single-use uh, bottles um, And we're also just very you know, we're a, a, an online first company a digital company We try and do as much as we can virtually um, and do as little printing as possible and things like that. So just that's just part of our culture to minimize waste. Um, but then actually our tobacco control work does a lot. Um, a lot of that is associated with, with waste. You know, tobacco butts, cigarette butts are one of the biggest um, items that are littered um, both on the streets, but also in a way that gets to our oceans. Um, it it, it pollutes in a specific way because of the chemicals that are in those products um, harming, you know, marine life. And, um, you know, if dogs eat them, they could, uh, a couple cigarette butts could, could kill a small dog. So, so there's, there's a lot of reasons to reduce cigarette waste. And we use that sometimes as a justification for people who maybe, maybe they don't care that much about their own health and they're okay with the harms that cigarettes are doing on them, but maybe they're not okay with the harms that cigarettes are doing on the environment. And so we, we take different angles to uh, motivate people to change. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, one of the the things that uh, really I think is part of this movement of companies like yours to uh, really be focused on social and environmental change is that uh, you you are part of the B Corp movement. You you're B Corp certified, which is quite an extensive process that indicates a really strong commitment. Uh, on multiple levels, um, is that how? Why is that important to you to be part of that? 
Well, you know, we, um, that was a big initiative of our CEO, um, Kristen Carroll, uh, when she came on board uh, about four year, four or five years ago now. Um, and I, I think when, when we started as a company, uh, we were in spirit a B Corp. Um, we didn't know what B Corps were. We didn't know what the community <laughs> was, et cetera. But, but that's how we structured ourselves, you know, and um, the, as we grew and as we continue to be this, you know, social impact company, a social enterprise, um, we weren't really plugged into the rest of the community that was doing this kind of work. And, and so Kristen really saw it important. And I agree with her that um, we shouldn't be just out here just because we were, we were doing this for a long time. Doesn't mean that there's not a value in being connected to all the other organizations that, that are doing that. So our interest in um, getting the B Corp certification was one to really make sure that we were practicing what we preached across the company, you know, like identify some gaps that maybe we weren't thinking about of ways to be a, a, a responsible company. And, and it certainly helped us with that. Um, but also to connect with all the other companies that are, that are trying to cause, cause change and, and start to meet some of our peers. Mm -hmm. Well, that commitment's an ongoing thing and, and uh, you, uh, have to be recertified at regular intervals and you've had such rapid growth. Uh, you're, you've been on the Inc 5000 list for the, for nine years. How, uh, are there challenges to maintaining that commitment even outside of the certification process, but just yeah. maintaining the commitment? Yeah, I, I think that there are, um, you know, one of the biggest things that happens, uh, a big piece of B Corp is how you treat your, your staff. Um, mm -hmm. and, one of the biggest things that changes as you grow in a company is you move from doing what's right um, because you know you, a few people work for you and you care about them and, and you know them all personally and, and, and you're doing it right because it feels right mm -hmm. to, well, now you have 50 people or 100 people. Um, you may not know them all personally, but they all have personal lives and things that they're going through. And now you have to make decisions from the lens of, well, as soon as I do this this way, I'm going to have to do it this way for anybody else who is in this situation. And so it, it's not so much that it's harder, it's that you need to um, be more thoughtful about it. And how do you document that? How do you ensure that the benefits, that the support that you're providing are things that you can provide to everybody and that are fair? Um, and so it just, it just changes the way you think about it. But if your principles are still the same, you know, then you're still going to be coming from the right place, which is what's the, how can the company best help our, our team while making sure that the company is still around since that is, uh, important for the team to all continue to be paid too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's an important aspect too, continuing to, uh, keep the company going and viable and all of those good things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, Jeff, I always wrap up these interviews with a, a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you game? Sure. Great. So the, the first one is what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Um, Really, the, the biggest thing is, is a little bit of what we talked about earlier with, with social branding, which is that in order to cause impact, you need to make sure you are in the space or talking to the people or in the, you know, in the community where the impact is actually needed. And mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how many campaigns, programs, initiatives seem to just be gathering people who already agree with you and just kind of patting each other on the back 
for how much we all love the environment or how much we all love health or whatever it is, um, that's not impact. That's not change. That's just kind of, uh, you know, self-congratulations. So if you want real impact, you got to go where the impact is needed most. Mm, yeah, that's great. Well, the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Um, I, I think the, you know, being open to personal change and organizational change is critical. There, there is nothing um, more damaging to a company than a stubborn leader. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a big difference between persistence and stubbornness. And you want to be persistent in your goals, in your initiatives, with your clients, with all of that. But, but don't close yourself off to, to what, is, uh, what might be a better idea or what might be just something that's not working that you need to change course. Uh, I, I would have never been able to predict the path that we took to where we are today. Did I have a plan? Of course I did. But um, your plan is always going to be wrong. And just be open to that. Take, put your plan in place. Start moving. And as soon as you learn something new, adjust and twist and turn. And the zigzag will eventually get you to the right place if you're open to, um, to that zigzag and don't just keep running into a wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really important point about uh, persistence. There being a fine line between that and stubbornness. So that's a, that's a really good point. Yes. Well, the third question is, what's one insight or piece of advice you'd share with another business owner who's saying, I want to have impact, whether it's in the social or environmental or other realm? What would you say to them? I would say to ask themselves first, do you want to have impact because you personally want to change this thing that's going on in our society? Or do you want to have impact because you think it would look good for your company? Um, because you think it would be a great way to get new customers. And if the first reason is a sales-related reason, a marketing-related reason, you're never going to be able to cause the impact that you want because a lot of times impact, the biggest impact is not as visible to the people that a company may be trying to reach as a customer. Um, because the impact is often in groups that where the, the problem isn't visible. And, and that's really hard, you know, it, it, take an environmental organization who's has customers that all care passionately about the environment. You may have to go somewhere where those people aren't present to cause a really big impact. And then you can, you know, you can report it back. You can make a video, you can show what you did, but just kind of know that your supporters may be very different from the people that, that need your help. Yeah, that's great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Uh, so interested to hear about your, uh, the way that you work, the behavior change pathways, and the way that you choose to operate your own company, which is, uh, of course, an evolving thing along with your commitment to, uh, to social change. So uh, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, Come, come on over to our YouTube page if, if you want to learn more. We have a lot of videos there about how we do what we do. Great. So that's the Rescue Agency YouTube page. That's right. Okay. And um, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, probably the best way is, is via Twitter, um, either for our company Twitter, Rescue Agency, or mine, uh, Jeffrey W. Jordan. Um, and always, of course, our, our website and our contact us there. Okay, great. 
Um, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world, Jeff. And thank you so much. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.